0: You're listening to a DM podcast. Hey! Welcome back to Beyond the Likes, guys. I have a very exciting guest today. Um, her name is Genevieve Muir. Did I say that right? You did. Now Jen, that- Jen is fine. Jen, Jen. Um, <clears> she <throat> is a fantastic Parenting expert, and I know that you are all so so excited to have her on. So, welcome, (laughs) thank you so much. This is going to be part one of a two part series, and we are going to chat all things motherhood and parenthood and the wild roller coaster that is um, children basically and the journey that we all go on from the minute they're born. I, for one, have had a little bit of. One-on-one time with Jen. I actually heard you on Lee, Lee's podcast, the How to Build a Human one. Yep. Um, And then you actually reached out to me when I had put up that thing about Kobe. Yes. Hitting. Yes. So we can go into that a little bit later, but I would love for you to tell the listeners kind of what
1: your role is and how you fell into it and all of that jazz. Yes. So... I kind of define myself more as a parent educator than a parent expert, okay. only because I don't believe anybody is a parent expert. Very like there, is, there just is no expert, so yes. like let's get that out of our heads at the at the get up. Um, So yeah, parent educator, I do one-on-ones and groups and um, big sessions. I also am an obstetric social worker.
0: Oh, what's Um, that mean?
1: That means that I'm a social worker in a maternity unit and I help um, people around the emotional transitions that come along with birth. So any of those things. So important. So important. Um, And in addition to that, I do the education in the hospital, which has sort of led to this big thing. But what's probably more interesting is how I fell into it, because as I just mentioned to you, it's not because I am this amazing parent with perfect children. It is um, the, if you can think of the complete inverse of that. And essentially, you know, my story is a little bit that I started pretty well. I really wanted a baby. It took us a while to get that to happen. And um, initially I had this first baby that slept and he ate and I was a bit smug. Like I kind of thought... (laughs) So I'm a pretty amazing mum. And then um, uh, we did what most people do in that you decide to renovate, you move in with your in-laws or your parents and you say, one thing we're not going to do at this point is have a second baby because that would mm. be crazy, right? And then, of course, we had a second baby Yep, under all that pressure. And the second baby, my beautiful second son, uh, he didn't eat, he didn't sleep, he didn't do any of those things. And this is kind of the year where the shit hit the fan. Can I say that?
0: (laughs) You can say whatever you like on this podcast. (laughs) It sounds exactly like my initial welcome (laughs) into motherhood as well I had Charlie she was the Dalai Lama and then Bobby was sent to
1: yeah Yeah. so there I was with a two-year-old that was hitting and biting and tantruming and I was trying to be a perfect parent Mm -hmm. and I wasn't feeling good and I didn't feel connected with my son and I wasn't loving it and there was crying 24-7 and then my son went to this beautiful family daycare centre with this amazing woman called Sadie. She was Lebanese and she'd help them pick their own um, parsley and make oh, wow. Um Just divine woman. And one day he snatched and I did what I was doing, which was sort of going in, trying to nip out behaviours and be really firm and, and kind of change him. And she just said to me, Jen, that is not working for him. And I went home and cried all night. <laughs> And I felt so hopeless and that night I bought a book and it was called The Secrets to Happy Children which had a bunch of parent educators in it and one of them was Steve Bidolf and then I read Raising Boys by Steve Bidolf and then I went and did Circle of Security Parenting which is something I now teach to parents and somewhere along the way like it was like a glass screen shattered. And I realized what was getting in the way of me being the parent that I needed to be for my son. And from there, it was a lot of work and a lot more training. And I went back eventually into social work at the Marsha. And that's kind of how I do what I do, but it's very much come from a place of struggle. And still now I can, I absolutely apply my own advice is what I tell parents, around 30 to 40% of the time. I yell, I make mistakes, I do all the things we all do. Yes. Um, but that's what I'm trying to bring to what I'm doing as well so that people know they're not alone. It's a tough job.
0: And I guess it's so nice to hear as, like, an outsider from, you know, your kind of um, career path is that you don't always get it right, no. right? And you're just as much of a human being as, you know, every single one of us and, mm-hmm. like, ultimately when we become parents like we all want to do the best we can for our kids and we all want to raise them to be incredibly kind and compassionate people and so we always set out with the right intentions and it's just nice to know that I mean you didn't you haven't been just like kicking goals (laughs) left right and center because I think Every kid, and I, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience as well. But like, all three of my kids are so different, and they almost need to be parented differently. Yeah, because they they require something different from me. So like, when I had Charlie, similar to your story, very easy, very textbook type child. Yeah, and then I had this second child who just had the most intense emotions and yeah. rage, and. I found that my parenting techniques that I applied with Charlie were absolutely falling short with Bobby. <laughs> yeah,
1: because
0: you've got four boys,
1: is yep. that right? I've got four boys, and I think, um, and you're right. Every single one of them is different, and they ask you to sort of rise up in different ways. And yes. and kind of, you know, my last child was sent to earth I think to test everything I teach like you know I say that all the time but um, you know and I think what you just said about parenting I've never met a parent that isn't trying their absolute hardest yeah but yet this is the irony and this is what's so frustrating about parenting trying harder Won't make you a better parent. Reading more won't make you a better parent. Actually, one of the biggest things that will make us a better parent is self compassion and self kindness and humour and taking breaks. And the ability to be reflective. So, you do need a bit of knowledge, and that's where, you know, working with someone or reading a little bit can help. Yeah. But I've worked with parents that have read way more about parenting. They're like PhDs in parenting, <laughs> and they're not enjoying it or they're not nailing it because it's actually one of those things like our kids don't need perfection. They need us to be authentic. Yes. And that is a completely different skill. And then, what gets in the way of us doing that is actually, as we've discussed, more your experiences to date and how you've made sense of those and how you're coming at emotions with your children. So yeah. they really shake us and drop us to our knees, our kids.
0: <laughs> they really do. And do you think that the way that, say for instance, I parent, do you think that is a reflection of the way I was raised? Do you? Would you say that a lot of what you take into your motherhood journey and the way you discipline and the way you try to you know nurture certain emotions do i draw that from my own childhood
1: experience yes and no so yes you do but one of the things i really think is so important to know that it's not just your childhood experience that will literally turn out, like if your parent was very overbearing and strict, are you gonna be the same? Well, no, because what we take into account is how you made sense of what happened to you, what work you've done to understand that and process that, who you were, so how that parent that was really strict or overbearing impacted you is going to depend on where you fell in the family how you took that personally and so so then yes our experiences today a hundred percent are one of the biggest things that impact how we feel about feelings but then how we parent our child is going to depend on who we get and what is happening with us like what's happening with our own relationship and what other stresses are on us you're going to parent you know often that first experience of feeling really confident with that first child you're not juggling two kids So you've just got more in the tank and you've got more compassion and then next thing we're juggling two kids and whether one of those is harder we're just more stretched and so that's going to push you and have you parenting differently and it's when we're really it's we can parent in one way with our knowledge to an extent but it's when we're under pressure so it's when our child is having that meltdown it's when we go into fight or flight that Mm. our kind of underlying rhythms come out Mm -hmm. um and they're always changeable they're all it's never too late to sort of shift that but that's what you're Upbringing will impact is that those core moments, not your everyday. How do I pack my kids' lunchboxes? Yes,
0: <laughs> it's funny because when I had just one child, I, I I I genuinely don't remember ever even raising my voice. And then I've had Same. I've had Bobby, and I I spent a lot of time with him in tears mm. because I was so flawed with how to parent him because. Mm. He was he was sent to basically put me back in my box because I was walking around the park like a bit of a peacock, yeah. thinking my shit didn't stink and yeah. I, that I was a lord parent, and I, I absolutely wasn't. I just had a really quite an easy baby first and foremost, and then with Kobe because there's three of them, and I'm instantly outnumbered. Yeah, I just I find myself yelling a lot. Yeah, I find myself yelling a lot, and I reflect on my childhood because my mum never really yelled but my dad always rose his voice and he was very intimidating and for some reason I missed that like my kids are not scared of me in the slightest (laughs) but I remember that every time my dad rose his voice And would send us to our room or that was very common in my house. I would get sent to my room a lot. He would then come upstairs um, after I'd been sitting up there cursing him. I hate dad, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) He would come upstairs and he would apologise for raising his voice. And then he would help me understand why he got so angry and so I, I feel like I have tried to emulate that Man. with my children and I feel like I'm saying sorry all the time
1: now because <laughs> I'm yelling so much more. Well it sounds like you're human and you might be interested to know that when we look at the outcome, so we want to turn out at ultimately Um, a person who's resilient, who's confident, who can make friends, who reaches their potential, you know, Mm -hmm. like all of those things. The single biggest indicator of what turns out that person is not a parent who never yelled or never made a mistake. It is a parent who can apologise and repair the relationship when that rupture happens. So what your dad was doing was amazing. And I think we are hard on ourselves. I think you probably feel like you're yelling all the time. But you're a mum of three kids and I guarantee you that there was nine things you were calm about, you were responsive about, you were humorous about before you yelled. But there are three kids in the house and there's a lot of pressure. And so you yelled. We can definitely work on changing the amount we yell we can work on that and that is where that self-compassion piece comes in because what we think as parents is that if we berate ourselves if i sit on the couch and just say oh stuffed it all up i'm a terrible parent i totally am ruining that child of mine we do catastrophize it Mm. and we think that's going to help us not to yell tomorrow it is the worst thing you can do (laughs) for your yelling amount the best thing you can do is actually say, whoa, I'm having a really hard time. Those kids really pushed me yes. and I lost it because I'm human and this is hard and maybe that's a sign I need a break Yeah, and maybe I need to ask for help and then we apologise when we can and then the next day because you've given yourself compassion, you will have more compassion for your child and so you will be less likely to yell because you can hold that compassion for longer mm-hmm. without actually going into fight or flight.
0: It makes so much sense because I, I, even when I, and I'm not a parenting educator or anything like that, but even when I do Q&As on my gram and stuff, I I get so many messages from mums saying like, how do you deal with the mum guilt? like, Mm. I lost it tonight and I'm riddled with guilt. And I think more often than not, we put so much pressure on ourselves to be these perfect mums. And like you said, we could have been, A fantastic mum all day long. We could have gone to the park. We could have laughed with them. We could have sat down and had a beautiful lunch together, or had a picnic or something. And then, by the end of the day, I don't know, maybe stress is built up, or oh, and it's (sighs) bedtime, yeah. And then your
1: child says one more thing, and you're like, and you lose it, right? (laughs) But then you
0: have these wonderful mums and these wonderful humans who just they focus on the one small incident where they've yelled and they've just completely overlooked how
1: incredible they have been as mums all day long. That's right. And I love parents to look at. So kids need three key things from us and it's, it's connection, it's boundaries and it's our ability to sit with really big feelings. Yes. And often when we lose it, it might be that, it might be, you, you could have a mum that's connected and played with her child and being great all day and then made them nutritious food and done the admin and whatever. And then she set a boundary really clearly around something and held that and and, and then sat with lots of emotion all day. Mm. And then there's the 10th meltdown of the day and she loses her mind. Yep. And it's just so understandable and you've got to look at that bigger picture and yes, you're repairing the relationship and yes, we're trying to sort of bring more peace and joy to our households, but you've just got to look at that bigger picture and just go all of those amazing things that I did or just I always say to people just when you do lose it, you just go, okay, so that wasn't in my 30%. I didn't nail yeah. that one and I'm human. And, and that's the compassion we want to give our kids. They're not going to nail it. You're going to say, don't hit your brother and they're still going to hit their brother yes. and we need to give them that same compassion because they're going to stuff it up. I feel like mums these days, or probably f- for as long as back to the, I can't what's the word, <laughs> like
0: before humanity started. We probably, back in the olden uh, days. Yeah, that's what I was meant to say. <laughs>
1: We've probably just always put this immense amounts of pressure on ourselves. No, the pressure is new. Is it? So the pressure is new. The pressure is new because there's two new factors. One, the village has changed. So we are no longer parenting in this kind of village where women didn't go back to work on the Mm -hmm. whole as a generalisation and you muddled around and the kids free range. There was less pressure. There was less places to go, things to do, less financial pressure and there was just less pressure. And so you learn as you went. So mums will say to new mums is that, well, I didn't need a lactation consultant to yes. learn how to feed. Oh my God, you're <laughs> so right. Because you had a village, you went home and, and maybe that worked for you or it didn't. But in general, there were 10 women and their washing baskets and they helped you get that baby latched on and it was calm and you had that support. Now, we go home to a small apartment or house and we're on our own. Like even if you do have family or friends, many people do live apart from Mm -hmm. their parents or their family. Um, But even if you have them there, we're much more an individualised society. We're trying to do it all on our own. So we've got the village and then as a response to this change to the village, we've got the information overload. And you've got parent educators coming out. Left,
0: right and centre. And that is the biggest thing that I have found. I have found that you have your, like I remember when I first had Charlie, everyone was like, get the Save Our Sleep book Mm -hmm. and then don't get the Save Our Sleep book, it's child abuse and then get this book and don't get that book and then uh, it was just so overwhelming because you've got information and people's opinions Mm -hmm. on parenthood in every single corner you look,
1: right, and yeah. you don't know
0: what's the right one or... No, you don't.
1: I mean, I had a dad in one of my classes the other day and he was beside himself with lack of sleep. He had oh. a, a five-day-old baby. He had his sister-in-law going, you need to start Save Our Sleep Now. It's going to change all your problems. And we, we all know that's not going to really yeah. help, <laughs> Um, you know, with his newborn baby. And then he's got every midwife saying, forget that, it's a doorstop. Um, you need to just respond to your baby yes and then no one had explained to him the why and so in you know when when we chatted and he got more information about the why about what's actually happening for his baby what's actually going to help here's some concrete settling skills you know this is normal you're not getting it wrong and neither is your baby and this is why it's happening and then he felt so much better but I think we're not doing the best job at getting to the why yes. there's like lots of do this do that but if if the if the stats or the research around what to do in parenting solve the problem, we'd all be perfect. <laughs> exactly, <at> it. <laughs> and it's not it. It is so complicated. It's about who we are. It's about our ability to be kind and reflective, and you know, th- there's just so much to it. And it's about who we get. So, I mean, yeah, the that is it's insane. The information. Well,
0: I even remember. I- even before I had a you know a following on Instagram I remember I'd put something my my biggest thing about my platform was that I I remember having Charlie and I remember I used to follow all these accounts and I was like oh, everything looks like rainbows and sunshine and blah, 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 blah and adorable photos and children are an absolute blessing by all means but, like, I I could never find anyone that, like, just spoke about how it was and, like, told the truth and I'm dog shit tired and I love my kid but, like, I I feel like I need to be in a straight straight jacket at the moment (laughs) and I I never found a, a... a platform where I could relate and really resonate with the wording and everything like that. So I always tried to just be really honest about my parenting journey and it was it was only a small platform and I just used to write the way I did but I remember writing something about – Bobby and um, his meltdowns and stuff and how I'd lost it and stuff. And I remember a mum coming on and, like, properly mum shaming me. Oh, my god. And she was, like, the intense, like, gentle parenting person. And I, I think this term gentle parenting, I think it has been maybe slightly taken out of context because I think that you can still raise your voice but you can still apply the gentle parenting, some sort of, like, techniques and stuff. Mm. I think the underlying message is a good one, but I think more often than not, sometimes... It's very confusing. I I really don't like the term dental parenting. Yeah, it's very confusing and it, it almost gives, it almost creates like a shame. Yep. If you do raise your voice or if you do lose it, and I think uh, this is a lot of the time where this guilt comes from with mums because they, they see all these gentle parenting pages and these
1: books <laughs> about like how never to lose your voice and to hold space all it's the time. So Look, it is so unhelpful. Yes. Um, and, yeah, so I don't like the term... Gentle Mm -hmm. parenting—that's not what I'm trying to do with people. Yeah, and I think that a lot of those classifications, there is no human that fits. Like, there's no person that is just straight up a gentle parent. No, or a, unless you're a robot, or a, even a helicopter parent, or yeah. like you know, and so anything that's saying, well, you're you know categorising us, we are not that simple. You come at your relationship with your child with so many different factors. You're going to bring a whole bunch of things. Yes, there are some good ideas in that idea of gentle parenting. Yeah. What I like to talk about, and what most parent educators, the research they're coming off, is the research around how we create a secure attachment style for our kids. Yep. That is different to attachment parenting, which mm-hmm. is worse than gentle parenting, so don't <laughs> confuse the two. Yep. Um, so once we understand what children need from that secure attachment, we learn that there's actually heaps of room for failure in it. Like it, that there is tons of room, that it's about meeting those emotional needs 30% of the time, not 100 yeah. And that actually, if you tried to meet your child's emotional needs 100% of the time, firstly, you would wind up in that straight jacket. Yep. You would never leave the house again, but it is not what kids need. They actually need experiences of you not necessarily dropping everything for their emotions. That's Absolutely, really important yeah. for their upbringing. And part of um, what gentle parenting doesn't communicate, I think clearly enough in its name, just by the name of it, is that children need that those boundaries, that structure, just as much as the warmth and what we're trying to do as parents is hold this balance of warmth and structure but it is really tough. It's like this seesaw that is impossible to always stay at the peak of and you're always going to slip one way or the other and as we've discussed we all fall naturally one way or the other. So the biggest thing you can do as a parent I think is find out whether you fall towards collapsing under pressure or whether you are sort of better at being firm, firm but you go a little bit angry, under pressure. Yep. And then you can reflect back on, well, what did my parents do and, and and kind of what were they doing? And then that gives you a sense of, oh, that makes sense. And then you can do that with your partner. You can yes. look at their upbringing and then together, instead of you standing there saying to each other, well, you're too firm and you're too kind and you're getting this wrong, and you're getting that wrong. You go, oh, wow, we are both bringing these incredible strengths to these children and the best outcome for children, we often partner up with someone that is our opposite in parenting styles. And the best outcome for our kids is actually that there is one parent that is being firmer and there is one parent that is softer. And so it's okay to be that parent that is firm but sometimes snaps as long as we're repairing. And it is okay to be that parent that sometimes collapses because sometimes kids need that kind of softness and that grace. Absolutely. you know, there's so much room for error. That's the biggest thing. It's about authenticity. I do think it's funny because my mum and dad,
0: my dad was, they used to say good cop, bad cop. My dad was very firm and my mum was the the big softy. Yeah, I like I think in any relationship, even with marriage and stuff, I think two people, you play to your strengths, right? Yeah. And so where Ryan, Ryan's very firm but then can also be quite angry, whereas I, my default isn't normally rage, like anger, <laughs> but I can be a bit like... Yeah, I can, like, fall apart at the end of a day, whereas he can hold the line very firmly. I, by default, have to become very firm a lot of the nights because he isn't there. Yeah. Um, like last night my kids absolutely tore me a new one. <laughs> I um, I don't drink during the week. This is a whole other podcast, but, like, I don't drink during the week anymore. But I just – I was like, I, I need a glass Did of wine. Did you have to have a drink? I need a fucking glass of wine because – Wow, oh they, everybody relates, <laughs> everybody can relate and and some nights are great and we get, um, you know, bedtime routine done seamlessly and then there's yeah. nights like last night where... One of them cried themselves to sleep and the other one got sent to their room and uh, it was just, I just had to, I, I mean, I could see that they were all so overstimulated and overtired yeah. and instead of trying to do our normal routine with read the books and stuff, I was like, everyone to bed.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you just have to cut and run. Like, Cruel to it. be kind, yeah. right?
0: And they all woke up this morning and everyone They're was okay. happy as Larry and everything's forgotten about. Yeah. So I think that is important. <laughs> I want to tell my listeners why you and I spoke in the first place, just because I know that there is quite a lot of people who are going through similar situations. And I had done a post about Kobe, like, you know, all different children, they bring something fun and exciting to the table around the age two or three. With Charlie, she brought a lot of sass when she hit four, Bobby brought rage um, (laughs) and Kobe has brought violence and I have never, none of my, the other two had been hitters before Mm. and so this was very
1: foreign. Humbling. Oh, my God. (laughs) I... I was mortified, to be yeah. honest. It's a real shame reaction as a parent. It um, is. Yeah, I mean, I got broken in by my first, so. <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> so you're a pro at it by
0: the time your fourth came. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, yeah, like a freight train to the face, really, because I was like, come on, c- what what have you got for me? Like, no, nothing can top Bobby, because that was a whole <laughs> period in itself. But Kobe was like, all right, motherfucker, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to game on. And, um... Likes to throw down with his fist. Thank God it wasn't other children. It was only ever – it started with Charlie and Bobby.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. It started with Charlie and Bobby and then it kind of went towards me a lot. And then I used to explain to Ryan, like, I would say no to him and he would just charge at me with oh, his no. arm above his head and a closed
1: fist. Yeah. And I was like, who are you? Like, Conor McGregor, are you – Are you kidding? And it feels very deliberate. Yes. And yet it's not. It's a child that is unregulated and unable to control themselves, which is what
0: we do. Yeah. And can't, (laughs) like, obviously is dealing with an emotion, which you obviously speak about
1: is behind Behind that act. Behind the behaviour. So kids will hit when they literally, I mean, when we think about it, hitting is a really clear way to communicate. I mean, sure, it, gets it definitely your, gets it point gets across. It gets your point across, right? And actually we can say that it, sometimes I will say a child hitting is effectively communicating their message. Yeah. We have to coach and guide them gently to find another way to communicate. But we wanna always remember with our beautiful little kids when they're stuck in these moments that Kids go well when they can. No one wants to be the bad kid. Yeah. No one wants to be the difficult kid that's getting into trouble and upsetting their mum. Like They don't want that. It can look so deliberate but yeah. there is no child on earth that wants that. So what's often going on are layers of physical regulation, sensory stuff, inability to process emotions in their body because they're three or they're four and that's just how it works mm-hmm. and it can also be sort of lack of ability to articulate or communicate that's going on and so then we've got kids hitting and then as parents we can play a role in it because the way we respond and if we respond big which we do to hitting because we're like i need to nip that in the bud yep (laughs) uh so we come in you we do not hit go to your room and then what happens is our kids who are seeking our connection always they actually will take it in any form and we are never more connected than when we are yelling at our child and saying Mm. go to your room. And it's not good connection and it's not like it's a conscious decision to come back and 27 minutes later hit their brother again. It is just like something in them is wired to keep seeking us out and if we keep reacting big and focused instead of calm – they do it again. So
0: like regardless of the connection they're getting, whether it's a good or a bad one from us, they want it regardless, right? They
1: want connection nonstop and particularly mm. when kids are going through a hard time and that might be a three-year-old who's just going through a hard time because he's three. Yeah. But that could be a three-year-old that has a new sibling or changed daycare or there's just something else going on. Yes. They can't wrap words around, hey, mom, I'm really processing the birth of this new baby. Can you just reassure me that we're okay and give me a hug? <laughs> no, they're going way gonna, too easy. They, they're going to thump the baby. They're going to kick you in the shins yes. because – they don't know how else to wrap words around that stuff. It's just you're asking them to do something cognitively; they won't really be able to do till they're twenty six. It makes so much sense when you
0: speak about <laughs> it like that. Am I allowed to tell them yeah. what you helped me with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's so basically, story. So, well, I, I don't know if I was allowed, <laughs> but basically, when Kobe started hitting, I would be like, "Oh my god! Like I, I cannot have a violent child!" Like I would jump on it straight away yeah. and. It would be, it would look like time out, or I would, if we were at a park and he was hitting Charlie or something, we would leave. Yeah. Or most recently, because we had been living with mum and dad, my mum would be like, "Send him to his room." And every time he hits, you send him to his room. And I remember one day I counted, I think I sent him to his room like twenty (laughs) three times. (laughs) So so
1: at that point we're going, it's not working. It is, is and that's (laughs) when I
0: wrote that post, being like, "Help." and when i spoke to you and you you know you referenced this um, underlying emotion behind the behavior it it really registered with us because i wasn't i wasn't giving that any thought and mm. i wasn't i was just seeing the action yeah. and that it wasn't a great one and i was trying to act on that to like stomp it out really quickly and what jen actually said to us was that you can show empathy towards them. And I know at that very time, you don't want to, right? Because (laughs) you think they're being naughty and you think that they're doing the wrong thing and that's the last time, that's the last moment that you want to like start showing empathy. And yet the minute I've started doing that, everything has changed for us. So like if I, after we spoke to you and you kind of mentioned to kind of, if you can call out the emotion that you think that they're potentially going through Mm. and say like, I get it. I understand that you're upset. Or I understand that like the other day I was in the car and Bobby, Bobby is a bit of a shit stirrer and he (laughs) loves to poke Kobe because he gets this reaction out of him. And he was like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. And Kobe doesn't know how to like articulate himself as as he would like to, I'm sure. So his d- default is to just like start throwing punches into Bobby's gut and stuff. And I kind of got in between them and I said, Kobe, I 100% understand that Bobby is really embarrassing you right now because the car door was open and the kids were in the street were listening. And I said, it, it makes you feel really lousy, doesn't it? And he mm. was like, yeah. And I said, but I cannot let you hit your brother.
1: Nailed it. I'm an (laughs) A-plus student.
0: And no word of a lie. And then obviously Ryan and I both sat down and we watched your seminar thing. Um, We've also had a one-on-one with you. And just it's as simple as that. And well, sorry, it's not simple. It's it's as simple and it's complicated as that. Yeah. But like just showing him
1: a little bit of compassion in those moments has completely and utterly changed him and the fear that gets in the way for parents in offering that compassion is that am I giving this kid love and affection for hitting am I am I rewarding yeah or like am I weak for doing this like yeah. I get yeah a, right yeah, yeah absolutely. so like my
0: dad he would he's a fantastic guy and he was a great dad but he would almost see that as what like almost like a weakness? Like you, you need to pull your child into line. I, as a what's the word? I'm trying to think. Like as a as Pro, his daughter, product of his protege of him, product of him. I kind of felt like that's the last thing. Like I don't want to get down onto his level and show compassion. And yet it has Kobe doesn't hit anymore.
1: Can I explain why it yeah. works? So um, it works because so as humans, unless we feel seen and heard unless we feel the compassion of someone else we can't learn or change yeah and so think about even what i was saying before about us as parents we want to berate ourselves right we want to do exactly what we- was done to us as kids we yep. were told go to your room and we were just berated when we did the wrong thing yep. and so when we do the wrong thing we want to berate ourselves we want to say no you're you've stuffed it all up yeah and yet the answer to learning or changing is self-compassion is yeah. being nice to yourself And in the same way, if we can offer that compassion to our child, they instantly feel heard and then their brain, instead of going into fight or flight, which is what happens when we yell, their brain regulates into this place of openness and now they can hear you. And so now when you say, what could we do instead of thumping your brother? Yep, you could ask for help or we could do this instead. Because they've had that compassion, they are able to change. And so then you instantly see a reduction in that behaviour because... Mm your child is able to find the solutions. When we time out, but I wanna jump back quickly. What you said before about before you knew what to do or whatever, um, that you would leave the park or, or put your child in their room, there's still okay solutions with a tweak. So I, I would if my child was not coping at the park and they were hitting or whatever, and I had tried compassion. Yeah i would say to them we're going to go darling because you need help and i'm going to get you out of here so this the, the reframe is that we are going to leave because i can see you need some help yeah and this is not working for you so let's mm. go home and we can try again another day so the difference is instead of that shame and blame and all that yucky stuff that has our child going i don't even understand what happened i didn't yeah. get the chance to process why that went wrong mm-hmm. they've got this opportunity to kind of learn that you will step in and help them and and that's another way of stopping your t- i gonna stop you. I'm I will not let you hit and I'm gonna get you out of here. Um, and with going to your room, it's not that sometimes kids do need to be pulled out and put in their room. It's just if we can go with them if possible is the difference. <laughs> so instead of a timeout you just say, man, you need help, I'm gonna get you out of th- let's get out of here. And we get them to the room with them and they might even scream, go away, leave me alone and we try to stay with that and say, I know you're saying go away. Um, Often when they say, go away, leave me alone, they're actually talking to almost the feelings. They want the feelings to go away. It feels so horrible. And they yell out at us because we're their safe base. And if we can just hang in there with them, be as close as we can without aggravating the bear more and just say, I'm going to sit right here behind the door and I'm going to stay with you. And as soon as you're ready, you know, and you just go slowly with kind of helping them to re-regulate. It's kind of like if you
0: strip it all back, like what your child needs, obviously you need to be like the... You need to guide them and stuff, but they also need you as a friend, right? Like like a friend would always look out for another friend and offer that compassion when you could see them yes melting
1: down but the thing is what gets in the way for us as parents is we are responsible for yeah. turning out this human yeah. and so when they're hitting their brother for the hundredth time we're thinking you're going to wind up in prison and it's gonna be my fault <laughs> yeah so we are freaking out and we're going into a fear response and that fear response causes us to not be what we need to be yeah and that's why we shoot for 30 percent. because even if you know all this and even if you do the work you're not going to nail this. 30% is achievable, I think. Like if you were saying 70, I'd be like, oh, God,
0: (laughs) I've got to start like (laughs) training. But 30% is achievable.
1: It's achievable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm going to wrap this up, but uh, we are going to do a part two with Jen and we are going to get, well, I've got a whole list of questions that the listeners have sent through and we are going to get Jen's wise pearls of wisdom um, and hopefully some help on how to answer them and how to nurture and navigate, you know, all the...
1: We're going to answer all all the tricky questions. All the (laughs) curveballs that
0: our children love to throw at us. So thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) I feel like I'm weirdly emotional because it's like it's just so nice to hear from an educator who... Makes you feel seen. It's what our toddlers want. I feel seen and heard and understood. And I wa- it makes me want to be a better person now because you're saying that, you know, me and all my stuff-ups, it's okay. Totally okay. Oh, God. Oh, can we hug after this? <laughs> yes. Okay. I will wrap it up and Jen will be back with us next week to answer all of your very interesting questions. I will love you and leave you and I will speak to you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Bye, Jen. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>